What's up, everyone? And I'm back again with the Football Index podcast. And we've actually got a returning guest and the first, you know, non-Football Index user who's returning. And that's Matt Santangelo over from the US. How are you doing, Matt? Pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's great to be on talking about the World Cup this time and not Serie A, although um, I'm sure we'll touch upon many of the players that are going to be in Russia that are coming from Serie A. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I know, definitely. That's what everyone's talking about at the moment. And uh, I've been meaning to do a World Cup preview for a while. And I kind of asked you if you're interested to do it. And uh, luckily you said yes. So uh, I guess we'll we'll get straight into it. Absolutely, let's do it. Right, so the first question comes from uh, Stuart McCormick. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Uh, So the the first question he asks is, who will be the first surprise player or not the first, who will be the surprise package at this year's World Cup in terms of teams? So, so what are your thoughts on this, Matt? What what teams do you think will surprise us this um, year? I think definitely Croatia is going to be one of those teams um, who, not, it really wouldn't be a surprise if they did well, because I think it's quite, it's quite clear that they do have plenty of talent, uh, especially in that midfield with uh, Modric, Brozovic, Badej, uh, you know, several just several you know, top midfielders um, coming in that department for them, and I think that's kind of what's what's been driving Croatia for several years now. So you feel like this is the one of the last tournaments that they're going to have in terms of having this group in their prime and their best years, and I think that's where Croatia really need to kind of step up. They're in in a, in a similar way, maybe in a little bit more of a veteran way. They're kind of like Belgium, where you feel like this tournament's like it's that tournament to kind of turn it on and and really you know chase maybe you know a semifinal run or a final run or things like that. And I think again, Belgium obviously are a team that wouldn't really be a surprise for many. Again, they have plenty of talent. Um, when you leave off, I got like Rajan Angolan, who has been a star for Roma for several years. Um, you know, kind of speaks volumes that about the to, to the amount of talent that um, Martinez has at his disposal. So I would say Croatia and Belgium are probably the two, uh, I guess, surprise packages in the sense that they're not, in my opinion, at the level of like France, Germany, or Brazil, but they're kind of in that next tier where you know if you get them, if they're playing well, there's a chance that they can definitely upset you and and, and beat you on uh, that day. So I would say those are my two teams. But I think again, it, it, this tournament. What's beautiful about this tournament, as we've seen in previous. Uh, competitions is that teams are coming out of nowhere you got the Costa Rica's you got you know you know maybe a team like Poland kind of jumps up and makes a deep run so it, overall I would say probably Croatia and and Belgium but I think again you know a Senegal or, or someone one of these teams again if they're if they're able to kind of find that form um, in, in a short condensed tournament format like this there's a chance that they do make a run and they do make some noise so um, there's plenty of teams to look forward to and I think that's what makes the World Cup so special. Yeah, definitely agree. I think we're looking at potentially someone like Wales, what they did in the Euros, having mm-hmm. that kind of romantic run in the World Cup. And I do look at Croatia as being maybe that team. You mentioned a, a few of their midfielders there, but there were so many others, Perisic, Rakitic, um, who don't even start, Marco Piazza, who's uh, on loan from Juventus. Uh, and then you've got Lovren, who actually finished the, the season pretty well with Liverpool. And then Sima Vazako as well, who, who's a fullback from Atletico Madrid. Madrid, very solid defender. I mean, a lot of teams in Europe are kind of having a look at him and standing up to notice him because he's done so well at Atletico. And then up front, they've got, you know, Mario Mandzukic. He didn't play in the friendly against Brazil, but everyone keeps writing him off. Uh, Linked with Manchester United crazily this summer, but he always seems to kind of relish these big encounters you know scored for Juventus in the Champions League final against Real Madrid last season and then you know Ante Rebic the the, the guy playing in the Bundesliga scored a hell of a lot of goals for for his team I think Antrak Frankfurt and uh, he'll be going with with Croatia this this summer but you, you touched on Senegal there and probably led from the back by uh, Kubiali and they've actually not got the hardest group so if they make it out they could really be troublesome for for teams in in the latter stages couldn't they be back I think absolutely I think again you know you touched on Koulibaly who's you know probably there you know again with him and Mane uh, you know they got some they got some quality there and I think and again this was one of the groups where you know I was looking at a Poland Senegal Colombia Japan I think it's one of those toss-up groups where I think, again, Poland have some of their issues defensively. Kamil Glick um, is in doubt. There's a possibility that he misses, you know, a couple weeks and that, you know, they, uh, they're they losing pretty much their best offender. And that can have a, an effect on the way Novalka feels his formation. I think he may go with three in the back now versus like a 4-2-3, 4-3-2-1. So... 
I, I think when you look at again, getting back to the way that this this form this competition structured, you play each team once. You're not playing two legged affairs versus each team. So there's a chance, you know, maybe, you know, if there's if Poland slip up or Japan slip up or Colombia even maybe you know you know get a shock defeat or things like that. In a matter of one game, two games, you can find yourself, you know. In, in, into the round of 16. And I think in, in a blink of an eye, we, we've seen that over the course of this competition, even the, the European Championships, where how things can drastically change with one mistake and things like that. And this is where everything, performances, mistakes, and everything like that becomes magnified because everyone's looking at certain players. And again, every goal means something. Every uh, opportunity means something. Every opportunity where there's no goal means something. So I think, again, Senegal have a really good shot here to you know, maybe surprise a lot of people and then could be one of those teams or maybe in the Costa Rica type of thing where, you know, maybe they, they surprise everyone, get out of the group and they maybe make a, a, a pretty deep run and it kind of turns people's heads and it gives people a good perspective on who Senegal is as a nation in terms of football. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned uh, Sado Mano there as well, but they've also got Keita Balde, of course, and a lot of uh, Premier League players. Idrissa Gay's had a couple really good seasons with Everton. Cheke Kiate from West Ham. You've got um, Badun Dai uh, from Stoke, who's just got relegated. A lot of people kind of looking at him. Ishmael Assar from Rennes, who's uh, turned a few heads as well. And then you've got some veterans like Musa Sao and uh, Bai Niang, who you obviously know very well, plays in Serie A. He's been linked to so many clubs. It seems every summer that guy's on the move. So, it, you know, they've got a lot of good players. It's not just Saido Mane and uh, Koulibaly. They've, they've got quite a solid squad. And maybe that's someone that, you know, other teams are kind of maybe looking at and they could be complacent when they're playing them. But, I mean, you mentioned that every every moment matters. That that might be the case always in the World Cup, isn't it? And in every big tournament, we do see maybe that first round is quite stagnant and not as open because everyone's so scared to lose that first game. I mean, I mean, we saw it with Portugal in the Euros. They drew their first two games, didn't they, in the group and then won the last one. Uh, teams are just so scared in that first round. Do you think we'll see kind of a more cautious approach from most teams and we might not have the big bang and fireworks display that we're all kind of hyping ourselves for for this first round of the World Cup? Well, I think for, you know, a lot of these, maybe the, the, the powerhouse nations, I think it'll probably be business as usual. I think, you know, they're experienced enough, they're, they're talented enough in terms of individual quality and as a collective unit to really handle the manage- matches they're supposed to handle. But I think, again, getting back to a team like Senegal, who opened up against Poland, that that's that can be that could be a deciding factor as to who gets out of this group between these two teams because I think it's quite clear at least in my opinion I think Colombia is probably Colombia and Poland are the, the the favorites out of this group but if Senegal let's say for example managed to get a, a victory over Poland or a good draw and then turn around and beat Japan now all of a sudden they have it they're put they're positioned quite well so it's not only about the opponents that are facing but it's really about the structure that are of, of the actual uh, group and in, in that if you're playing a team where you can get on the front foot and get a big victory opening this stage it puts the pressure on those teams that are following you um, in, in terms of the schedule to really you'll get proper results and things like that to move forward. So I think, again, getting back to the way the format is, if if you can get on the front foot and get a good result to start, I think there's teams that, like Senegal, for instance, who can ride momentum and really be you know a threat for teams like Colombia or, or Poland. But I think overall, generally speaking, I think you're going to start. I, don't, I think you'll see a couple upsets, but I think a lot of those bigger teams are going to try to get out um, early and, and really kind of hammer down this thing. So it's also a strategy, if you would agree with me, that you know if you can get a big, um, you know, goal, you know, score a bunch of goals in a victory, now you're not worrying really much about that goal differential, and you can kind of strategize and how you rest players because of the turnaround. So. Yeah, it is totally true. But I also think it's from a mental perspective, if you do have a, you know, a 7-1, like uh, I know this was far later into the tournament, but when Germany beat Brazil 7-1, the amount of confidence they must have gained from that victory, beating Brazil in their own back garden uh, by that by that uh, margin, it must have done their players a world of good and they must have thought about the final you know at half time and I know that they, you shouldn't do that but mentally you're already preparing for that next game and you already you know you've got the advantage against whoever you're playing in that next game so if a Brazil a France a, a Germany come out in those first couple group stage games and really plant that flag in the turf and say we're here and we're the real deal because I don't know if you agree with me because this is the first time I don't see a clear clear favorite 
I think it's a bit, it's quite, quite an open tournament, isn't it? Quite an open World Cup. There's a few really good teams. And then, as you mentioned, those guys just below the, the Belgians, the Croatians, blah, blah, blah. So you've got a lot of pretty solid teams in this year's tournament. No, 100%. I think, again, you, you do have, your. I would say, your cream of the crop, your nations that everyone kind of looks at, at entering these big tournaments as the favorites, if you will. And again, I think, you know, Germany, France, Brazil, just among them. But I think that, again, with the way the game's changing, the way coaches are able to adapt, the way, you know, managers and players like that are able to game plan and strategize against the opponents because they know, you know, they've, these groups have been established for quite some time. So not saying that they're, you know, they don't have the opportunity to, you know, properly game plan because I think they do. But I think again, in a format where, you know, where you're playing for your nation and you have your nation's colors and your nation's watching you. I think a lot of times, a lot of these players who maybe are had a difficult year for club or whatever the cases are fringe players, or maybe this is their last tournament. You, you tend to see some of these players rise to the occasion and when the, when the bright lights are on them. So I think again, you know, getting back to what you're just saying about, you know, it doesn't feel like there's a, a real true favor, a team you can look at and say, they're going to win this. I think there's favorites, but I think again, there's no, it wouldn't really surprise anyone to see a team like Argentina or a team like Brazil uh, not go as far as probably most people think they should in that just, again, there's so much depth. There's a lot of teams that, you know, people I think are sleeping on. And again, you touched on Senegal as being possibly one of them. And I think it's not just even in this group, I think throughout the you know, 32 teams, there's a lot of that. And I think that's what's going to make this World Cup really exciting. Yeah, and you, you picked up on that point about, you know, teams that we might not be surprised in, in doing well. So so who are the teams that you think might fail to live up to expectation? We saw f- France, who are, who are favourites in, in the Euro final, not winning. And perhaps, you know, that was their expectation. They were the favourites from pretty much the start with Germany. And then, you know, in the final, they... they unfortunately lost to Portugal to, through the <laughs> crazy Adair goal in, in extra time. So who do you think might fail to live up to expectation in, in this year's World Cup? You know, it's crazy because at the first question you asked who I think was would be one of the surprise teams at this World Cup. Um, and, I, and I mentioned Belgium. I, I think Belgium is on the same, on the flip side. I think they're also a team that I think could fail to live up to expectation. I think they do have a lot of individual quality. I think it's obvious when you look up and down their roster how much uh, talent they have and where these players are playing in their trade domestically in terms of club competition. But I think they're a team that I don't know. Is is there are there a team that are they just have a bunch of individual quality? Are they but are they really good as a unit? And I think again when you look at a team like Germany, for instance, who again I know we're gonna talk about them, but they left Leroy Sane off and people are scratching their head and and in and, and, and hollering and all this stuff, what have you. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, you know uh Low goes for a certain player. He likes a little bit more uh, a, a player that's a little more maybe defensive, can do a little bit more things versus just being an attacking presence. And I think again, when you look at a team like Germany, they're they're yes, they have a lot of talent. It goes with that saying. They probably can fill two World Cup rosters with the amount of talent they have. But generally speaking, is that they have the talent, but they also have the cohesiveness, the maturity when they play. And I think that's what we really I'm focused on, at least with Belgium in their case. Uh, and for this question, is if see if what they can do. Can they really? bond can they really grow as a team because there are some players who again at the previous world cup were new were, were a little bit more younger on the younger side and now fast forward four years i think this is really their era this is their time to kind of step up and really kind of again to, to touch on your point stake their claims put their flag in the ground and say we're here this is who we are as a nation we're with the argentinas we're with the frances so i think a team like belgium um you know it's I think there's a possibility they, they do fail to live up to expectation, but I also do think they can surprise. So that's what I think makes them one of the more uh, fascinating teams. Yeah, for sure. And it's about time that they maybe show some of that cohesion. I mean, Lukaku, De Bruyne, Hazard, well, the Hazard brothers, isn't it now? Company, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, all these guys, you know, Witzel, Fellaini, all these guys, they've played together for so long now. Uh, I mean, uh, it's it's strange to me that we don't see more of that cohesion because they have played together for for this length of time so it'd be really interesting to see what happens with them in the summer obviously Wales beat them and in the end quite soundly in the Euros on their way to uh, in that quite deep and uh, as I mentioned earlier romantic run that they had in the in the Euros so it'd be really interesting to see what for example Kevin De Bruyne off the back of the season that he had when now staking his claim as one of the best players in the world can he do it on the big stage can Eden Hazard shut everyone up who's kind of 
you know claim that he he might not live up to the to the big occasion uh, you know you're talking about two of the top maybe 25 players in the world in your team and then you look at their defense for Tongan Ardvero to probably the top 25 defenders in the world you've got a really strong squad and the expectation as you said is going to be there because how good the individuals are can they find that cohesion so definitely one that everyone says might be a bit overhyped and, and might fail to live up to expectation. But I've, I've noted down here Argentina and France, and I'm hoping that when people, you know, kind of maybe tweet me in about a month's time and these two guys are in the final or one of them has won. Uh, I don't know. Argentina, I look through their squad and apart from the forward areas, I think they might struggle. I think they might struggle defensively. It, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? You, you have Lionel Messi, who's as amazing as he is I think he's him and Ronaldo are the best players to ever live he's never scored a goal in the the knockout phases of the World Cup so there's that massive expectation on his shoulders how much pressure is on him to kind of emulate Diego uh, Maradona and on the other hand you've got France who some of their players just haven't performed at club level you look at the you know Pogba's and the Lamar's and then at left back they've um They've taken Benjamin Mendy, whether or not he'll play. Maybe Lucas Hernandez will, will, will take that role at left back. I think fullback might be a bit of a worry for them. And then in goal, I think Lloris has kind of not been as good as he, he's been in previous years. We saw, we saw that at the Euros, actually. I thought he was actually at fault for the, for the Adair goal. And for those of you who know me, I always slate Lloris, especially as I'm an, an Arsenal fan. <laughs> but at centre-back as well, they, they are quite strong there. But obviously, Laurent Koscielny might have started and, and he's injured. So they do have a few issues that maybe not that many people are talking about just because they've got so much firepower. So it'll be interesting if those two teams can live up to those expectations. I don't know what you think about those two. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, again, with Argentina, look, at it's all eyes are always on Lionel Messi. And I think it's even more more so this time in that, you know, you, you, these players are, you know, and for us, unfortunately, as, as football fans, first and foremost, you're seeing guys like Ronaldo and Messi, two of the best players ever, getting older. And you really want to see them, you know, kind of go back and forth at it. And the chase has been pretty, pretty remarkable over the past, what, decade, that both of them have just kind of been sharing Ballon d'Or honors, winning major trophies and things like that. Ronaldo has his his major tro- uh, major trophy. He won the Euro. Now you're looking as okay. What's Messi going to respond? Like what's what's Messi's answer to that? Now when you look at the roster again, they left off uh, Mauro Riccardi, obviously the big uh, big striker from Inter, who, who had, you know, shared Capocanieri honors with Chiro Mobile with 29 goals, and it was kind of like a, you're looking at him. You're like, why is he off the team? He has 100 goals in 150 something games, and throughout his Inter career, this guy should be at the World Cup, right? But when you look at the team. Iguero, uh, Messi, Iguain, Dybala. And I think, again, getting back to your, your, your main point is that, yes, everyone's kind of so fixated on their attack and how much they're going to score and th- this and that, what have you. But it, it's, it's, you know, you wonder if it can Argentina, you know, can they rally behind Messi? Can a lot of these players kind of elevate their game and help Messi maybe win that last major trophy or that, that last kind of missing thing from his mantle, which has been a major trophy. And then again, a World Cup would be a fantastic addition for him. So I think when you're again, when you're talking about Argentina, um, I don't think I have as many concerns with France, unlike I do what happened with Argentina. I think when you look at the guy, if you look at the, t- the players that France left off their team, it's like, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, they're not bringing, I believe, what is it, La, La Cazette or, or some of these other guys they are not bringing who are, who are very good strikers, very good players. So I think France, it's going to be interesting. Again, they made the final of the last Euro they hosted. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond. There's a lot of narratives and there's a lot of storylines going into this World Cup, including, um, obviously, Messi, Ronaldo. But, so that's what makes this tournament fascinating. And I think, again... It's, it gives you a reason to watch every game. I think aside from your affiliations with you know, maybe England or you know, Belgium or Spain, it kind of gives you a reason to kind of tune in because it always feels like there's some sort of stake in every game and there's some sort of storyline going on. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the Ronaldo-Messi narrative. I think part of the pressure that's come on Messi recently is because in the last two years, Ronaldo's got a European Championship and two Champions Leagues. So maybe Messi's looking at it and saying... This this can only go on for so much longer. I can't let him keep winning in the last two or three years because maybe he's had the leg up. So there there is that added bit of pressure. So I I I, I don't know. I I think he's gonna he's gonna turn up, and I and I really hope he do. I hope 
both of them turn up but i think we'll we'll come back to those guys a, a bit later the next question comes from uh jim johnson <laughs> i don't know if that's your real name or not uh he asks who will be the surprise or breakout player for this season so we've talked about surprise teams but who's going to be the the hammers rodriguez of 2018 matt well, you know, I think it's it's kind of tough to say, you know, to define surprise, define <laughs> your breakout player, because I think it's it's really it's difficult to say that, right? Because I think if you look at maybe, uh, you know, if we start with Serie A, that's kind of my my bread and butter, my expertise, if you will. If you look at some of the players, and you know, you're looking at you know Zielinski, who is one I think who could have a great tournament. He's kind of all of a sudden now really getting that that attention he deserves. Again, he's not playing; uh, he hasn't been really a, a full time starter for Napoli, but when he has played, he showed glimpses of being a really world class player. Player, and he's even getting those kind of those labels that I think are a little bit premature in my opinion as being like the Kevin Dabrana of, of Poland and stuff like that. But he's one of the guys that I think, again, you know, a lot of people do know about, but I think when you're going into a tournament like this, they're still not maybe quite familiar with them. I think he's definitely one of the Timo Werner. I, I, I would say yes, definitely. I think most people know who he is by now because he's, he's lighting it. He's been lighting it up in the Bundesliga for several years with uh, Leipzig at a very young age. And I think, again, one of them that's, you know, aside from, you know, the usual guys like a Dembele or, or Mbappe, I think Bruno Fernandes has that really big opportunity to kind of put himself in that limelight as being a, a, a really elite playmaking type player. I think, again, he goes from Samp to Sporting. And at Sporting, he's really become you know, a, a, one of their best players and one of the stars for them. He gets into the World Cup team, and I think this Portugal team is loaded. So when you look at the guys around Bruno Fernandes, the guys around Ronaldo Silva, there's a lot of opportunity for some of these players to kind of benefit from this tournament in that they can really use this opportunity with the guys around them, that supporting cast, to kind of up their game and really put themselves not only in the limelight internationally, but get that notoriety um, and you know on the domestic level and maybe perhaps leverage that into a big move. So overall, again, Zielinski, I would say Bruno Fernandes, Timo Werner, that would be my t- maybe my three guys but again Milinkovic Savic um, <laughs> is another one who's been on the minds of every pretty much everybody since the season ended so he's another one but again those are my probably my four but I could I could go on and on and on yeah for sure I, I really like your your picks there Bruno Fernandez especially I, the, the reason why I quite like that pick is because if you look at the Portugal team it is stacked as you, as you say there's so much talent in there you talk about the the guys who might have a bigger impact this time round than they did in the Euros you talk about Gelson Martins Bernardo Silva uh, Guedes uh, Andre Silva and obviously you've got Ronaldo still at the peak of his powers somehow but then in the midfield area they didn't take Ruben Neves I don't believe they took Danilo Pereira the, the central midfield player they've got William Cavalio still there who's not had the best season with Sporting because of all their issues. And then you've got Jan Moutinho, who's, I don't even know how old, old these days. Bruno Fernandes, and I had um, Jan Hagen, a, a Portuguese league analyst, uh, come on the podcast a, a couple of weeks back. And he said, Bruno Fernandes has, is playing a level that no one has ever seen in the Portuguese league. So I really want to see what this guy can do on the big stage. And I'm really excited to see it. You mentioned Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, and uh, I don't think me and you would have been able to get through this podcast without mentioning that guy because since you mentioned him I mean on football index especially people have been going completely crazy about him but in you know in the real world this guy's just lighting about up at the moment I mean I I watched a few games towards the tail end of the Serie A especially the Lazio Inter the the crazy 3-2 game I believe or was it was it 2-2 uh, uh, three two, three two. Yeah, three three two. Where, man, he was. Even though they were on the, the the wrong side of things, he was really, really impressive in that game. And uh, God knows what uh, what amount of money is needed to take him away. Another guy that I want to talk about is if, in Syria as well. You might want to shed some light on this. Uh, Bentacor, the um, Juventus young Uruguayan midfielder, of course. And as far as I know, he actually plays quite a key role in that Uruguayan midfield, doesn't he? Yeah, he absolutely does. And I think, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of people look at him and they say, ben, the Bentecure, they know, I think they know he's a good talent. Again, he, he came from Boca Juniors. But the funny thing about that is the reason why Juve were able to get him was because of the Carlos Tevez deal. So he was one of the kind of the compensatory uh, the picks, if you were, or guys, they were able to get a, a you know, an, um, a, a, an option on, if you will, to kind of trigger that option to bring him aboard. They brought him aboard as a, as a teenager. And this year, I mean, he was playing a pretty pretty pivotal role for Max Allegri's Juve side and that he was playing matches, I think, in the Champions League. I think he actually played against Tottenham, if I'm correct, in one of those legs. So a guy like Benton Decord to make the team, uh, you know, it kind of, it, it, it speaks volumes on how 
many coaches are really, they're not looking at age and saying he's not mature enough. They're looking at what's this guy going to be able to bring to me right now? What's his ability? What they can recognize these certain things in these young players. And I think that's a kind of a similar case with, you know, the club teams and that teams are investing in the young players. They want to get them before they become too expensive. And Bentecure is one of those guys where, again, he kind of, you can throw him into that mix of players who can really break out, especially if he's going to get a starting job. And I think, again, that you could say that's the same about Lucas Torreira from Sampdoria, who made the Uruguay roster. Um, you know, as a big fan of his, I was actually really happy because I always talk about him. Again, I always like those little guys who maybe some t- some players tend to uh, or some people tend to overlook or he's not maybe, you know, the guy scoring the goals or doing this and doing that. But he's kind of been like that methodical leader, that methodical um, dictator uh, at, the, at the base of Samp's uh, midfield. And when he comes into a tournament like this with a lot of interest from Arsenal, Napoli, even earlier on in the year from Atletico Madrid, Again, he is one of those guys who can really use this this stage to really elevate his game, elevate his stock, and really ultimately put himself on the map as as one of the best uh, you know, young midfielders. Yeah, again, we, we wouldn't have been able to get past this podcast without mentioning Luca Torreira. Like uh, Milinkovic Savage, <laughs> a, a favorite of both of us, I think. I think Luca Torreira, he's just such a such a tenacious guy in, in the the heart of that midfield, but also technically so sound. I, I liken him to I think in the last podcast I said Marco Verratti, but with a bit more bite and maybe a bit more of a passing range and a bit more of a strike on him. So I think when you look at those two guys, and in the last one we talked about Marco Verratti not really progressing, this guy certainly progressed. And I mean, there are going to be a lot of suitors in the uh, in the in the transfer window, but from from overachieving or breakout stars to maybe those players that might fail to achieve this summer, who do you think might flatter to deceive in this World Cup? So this is going to be an interesting one, and I think um, you know it's some people may. May not it may not be surprised by what I'm going to say. Some people may, but I'm going to say Gonzalo Higuain, and I think here's the reason why. I think people are always going to look at this team, right? Because I think again, Aguero, Messi, uh, Higuain, Dybala. People were saying, well, Higuain, you know, sometimes maybe he does not he's not as clutch or as clinical when when when, the, when they need him in a big game or when you need him in a big game. And I think it's kind of that perception that people have of him is kind of hit or miss again there have been cases where it has been in my opinion proven true but there have been cases where he has played really well in a big game and I think it's going to be the big one of the biggest focuses for Argentina is because they left Mari Cardi off and who many believe that should have been on this team regardless so I think Iguain could be one of those guys where if you know maybe he doesn't get the opportunity to, to you know, get, get a big goal or things like or maybe Aguero plays over him or maybe Messi Dybala becomes the, 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 the preference for Sampioli up front now you're all of a sudden looking at maybe okay well what's what's it going on with Iguain should they brought a Cardi you know should they've maybe kind of squashed that whole um beef if you will that Messi and Cardi reportedly have over um Mari Cardi's uh well Maxi Lopez's uh, former wife um so it, I think that's going to be the interesting thing here for Argentina among many other things obviously with that team when you have Lionel Messi obviously you're gonna have to get the attention but uh, generally speaking I think Higuain's going to be one of those players who would do things overachieves and I underachieves excuse me and I think there's also going to be someone who maybe a guy like Dybala who kind of starts to get that main role himself yeah for sure and I think the pressure's on him as well as you mentioned because of the alternative options that uh, Argentina have they've got Aguero so suddenly if, if you're Higuain and you're not playing well you're kind of going to be looking over your shoulder and thinking well one more slip up and I'm not starting the next game so certainly there have been a lot of critics of Gonzalo Higuain and it it often surprises me that Aguero doesn't start because him and Lionel Messi have such a good relationship I think um, am I right in saying they're godfathers to each other's kids or something like that i, I, don't I believe know. so something, something like, like that, that. yeah, something yeah, yeah. Like that. so and because messi has such sway in the dressing room i'm always so surprised that aguero doesn't start and obviously he's he got injured towards the end of the season so that might be playing a, a part in san Paoli's thinking but uh, another you know quite a diminutive forward like aguero is uh, Dries mertens who's, who's kind of been lighting up the serial for the last couple of years but with belgium he doesn't seem to play as well and I, I was wondering if you think that's because he's maybe not the main man there and he's playing out wide rather than this number nine role he does for Napoli yeah with well with Mertens I think again it's interesting because you know it, he's a guy that we really don't know what his future is going to be like at Napoli and I think again he's been thriving in a more of a false nine role uh, or a 10 role if you will with Napoli but again with with international some players always don't have that same excess as they do um, so again I think Mertens is one of those guys where 
I think he's now that he had the, that big year for Napoli, uh, you know, last year he had a pretty good year, but the year before he was at, in the kind of in the race for the golden boot in Italy. I think the kind of the spotlight's going to be on him to not, you know, to, to bring it at this tournament. He's at that age where he's 31, 32. So the, the time is now for him to be, you know, not only a force for, for club, but also be for country. So uh, again, you know, the good shot on the Mertens, I think, again, this is a big tournament. I think it speaks volumes about the amount of talent that Belgium have when you got, look at a guy like Mertens who may not even start behind a guy like Lukaku. So Mertens is a guy, I think, again, he's been transformed or had a bit of a good transformation under Sari. But again, it doesn't always lead to that same international success. But so, so again, Mertens is a guy that we definitely want to focus on in this tournament. I think also it's also worth noting that with Milik back for, for Napoli and he probably possibly playing a big role for Poland at the World Cup, where does that leave Mertens, you know, at Napoli, does maybe this tournament kind of open up the door for him to get more suitors to, you know, maybe Napoli see some things from Milik they like, they think he's ready to go um, and, and he's full force, um, excuse me, fully healthy after his two ACL injuries. So again, those two could kind of be connected in some ways, I think, in that they could both use this tournament to kind of jockey for that main position at Napoli. Certainly, really interesting stuff there, especially with the Arturis uh, Milik, he's going to be vying for a starting spot with uh, Poland. And I know Robert Lewandowski is the main man up there, but Poland do have quite a decent squad, but Milik would be a guy that you'd, you'd be looking to to start there. And Dries Mertens, again, yeah, scored a hatful of goals in the last couple of seasons, but it remains to be seen whether or not he can re- replicate that form with Belgium. And then, as you said, Napoli might look at that and say, if we can get 30 million euros for, a, you know, as you said, 31-year-old, then we've got the ready ready made replacement in Milik so we, we might not need to even splash that money out you, you go and buy a I think it looks like a Simone Verdi is going over to Napoli so you go and get out a, a, a winger who can maybe score some goals and you've already got a like for like replacement we'll move on to the next question and we already talked about um, Belgium very briefly and Tall Bob FI asks if Belgium are going to be the next Spain or are they going to be the next England it's that's that's tricky because again to, to 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 put them in that same category as Spain who won three major tournaments uh, to, uh, you know tw- uh, I believe it was 20 uh, 2008 2010 2012 um to put them and say they can be that team, I think when you look at the quality they do have individually, you would make a you can make a strong case that yes, they they're a team that can go and win a, you know, a major tournament. They can have a dynasty, if you will. But again, I have my concerns in that you know collectively, can they do it? Collectively, can they be um, a powerhouse and typically kind of you know propel themselves into that upper echelon of nations as being you know the Frances, the Germanys, all these different nations that we kind of look at every each and every tournament as the favorites to win them. It remains to be seen. I think there's a possibility that maybe Belgium fall into that middle category of maybe not being Spain, but still being very good, very competitive, maybe a semi-final run or maybe a good quarterfinal run where maybe they bow out against a really strong opponent. But then there's also that side of me where that says, you know what, there's some nations that kind of underachieve that maybe can't put it together when they really need to. And I think that, again, you can really lean towards maybe a little bit of like an England in that case. So I think there's a middle ground for Belgium um, as, as a nation you know, over these past several tournaments and especially this World Cup. So if I had to say, I'm probably going to be leaning towards more of that England in that they're going to underachieve. And I think, again, based on the, the quality they do have, they should be doing more, but maybe they'll come up just short. I agree. I mean... <laughs> That, that cohesion that you mentioned is really important, but also if your individual stars have to kind of turn up. And with England, when they had that golden generation of the, the Lampards, the Gerrards, the, you know, Rooney in his prime, we even talk about before that with Michael Owen, et cetera, and, and all the great defenders we had um, with, with Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, et cetera. They didn't perform as well for their countries as they did for their clubs. You look at Kevin De Bruyne, he's, he's played in a, you know, a system this season. Dries Mertens has played in uh, Maurizio Sarri's system. So if these guys don't, turn up you, you then ask is it just them not being as you said clutch or is it them not playing in the system that they are used to you know Kevin De Bruyne kind of played in more of a slightly withdrawn box-to-box role when, when he's maybe used to playing a, a number 10 if he goes back in that position for Belgium is he going to do as well Dries Mertens we talked about he played the the false nine position for Napoli is he going to do as well out wide 
it's, it's going to be really strange. You've got, of course, Axel Witzel coming back from China. How is he going to adapt playing back at the top level? You've got all these variables and all of them to win a World Cup. Everything has to go well for you, right? And then you're and, and then you're also talking about the coaches too. Like you're talking about a group of players who are playing in different areas or playing against different teams or playing with different coaches, different systems, as you just mentioned with De Bruyne playing with Pep Guardiola. Like it's it, there's a lot of things that go into it. Just it's not it's not it's not FIFA Ultimate Team. Obviously, you know that's obviously that's the case when you would say, okay, well we got De Bruyne. We put, look at our team on paper. We are loaded. It's not like that. It kind of the football in a sense in, in many ways it's kind of more like a like a dance routine like a choreographed number and that players have to it's all kind of a working machine where one player has to do one thing so the other player can do the other so the, the player x y and z can do the other as well and i think again that's what's kind of difficult to kind of project with some of these teams like belgium is that when you look on paper there's very few teams that have as much as talent as they do top to bottom but it's not always the most talented team that wins this tournament. I mean, maybe hi- historically, yes, there's a, you could probably make a, a case for that. But I think overall, perfect example was Portugal. Portugal really didn't do win the Euro in, in the most uh, sexiest and the most uh, you know, Im- impressive way. But they managed to get it done because of, you know, maybe one player stepping up with a big goal, one player doing this, one player doing that. Sometimes it's a little bit of luck, but sometimes it's also players kind of looking into themselves and saying, what can I do to to elevate my game? What can I do to help maybe this player you know, raise his game or achieve what he wants to achieve and vice versa? So again, getting back to your point, there's a lot of variables that go into it psychologically, um, you know, tactically, technically, all these different things come into play when you're looking at who is going to win this tournament, who's going to impress, who's going to underachieve. And I think, again, that's what it's it's the World Cup. That's why it's the best tournament in the world. Man, I'm so excited for this tournament. <laughs> it's going <it's laughs> to be I. great. Even, even with no US and no Italy, it's it's like I, I got Poland. That's kind of like I'm Polish and Sicilian, so I got Poland to lean on. But it's kind of weird seeing – still weird seeing Italy not in this World Cup. I, I think it would be kind of great to see them, and especially Buffon, but uh, – I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we won't rub too much salt in those wounds, man. But we yeah, yeah, the next yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. This is a really weird one from our football index, and it was obviously a joke, but I thought I'd put it in anywhere. It says, would you rather shit yourself on the pitch like Gary Lineker or do a Carrius, but in the World Cup final? Oh, uh, I shit myself. Not, 10 out of 10 times I think look especially you know what it is especially like like if, if like I do that but like everyone the team still wins or something and then it becomes, it becomes kind of like a funny thing and I come more of like a camaraderie thing that maybe has like some team building to it in a weird way uh, and, but when you look at a guy like Carius, you know again you fat, yeah, we're kind of finding out a little bit more about what happened with him um, at the World Cup with these concussion symptoms and all these different things that happened with him so that was kind of it was kind of sad to see that it'd be, it'd be, many people made jokes and yeah. the memes and all that stuff about his performances and the things he didn't do in net to help Liverpool win. But I think jokes aside, again, to see a guy like him kind of get that pinned on him um, after having that collision, it's kind of it's kind of tough to see. So again, I'd rather uh, be the, the 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 butt of the joke in, in Gary Lineker's case and uh, um, you know stain my drawers. <laughs> no puns intended, and especially Gary Lineker takes it so well on um, on social media. Every time he tweets something, literally the first comment is "shut yourself." And like sometimes, every now and then, maybe when he's feeling like it, he'll respond to it and be like, "Yeah, but uh, you know, I scored this many goals for England, and, and you know, blah blah blah." Just kind of talks about what he did on the pitch, apart from shitting himself, but. Maybe we'll, we'll move on from that one uh, pretty qu- quickly. Thanks for that question, whoever uh, our football index who's who's been on the podcast twice. So uh, you know, trying to trying to sneak his way on again. Uh, Har- uh, next question comes from Harrison C. Heel. Is that it? Or Harrison Cheel? I don't know which one it is, but he, he he talks about Neymar, and I've kind of phrased the question in this way: Is this Neymar's World Cup after what happened to him in the last tournament? Obviously, when he got that quite bad back injury, and then the next game obviously everyone knows what happens with uh, Germany absolutely demolishing Brazil so is this his World Cup I think for Brazil to do what they're supposed to do and to achieve what they're supposed to achieve it has to be I think again he's four years older than he was the last World Cup Um, obviously I know they hosted that World Cup and to see him go out that way with an injury but also see Brazil get you know defeated the way they did versus Germany you expect guy like Neymar who many consider to be the next excuse me, guy to win the Ballon d'Or, the guy who, you know, is the most uh, expensive player in the world, in world football. You expect him to kind of really step up. He scored a goal on the weekend in his return for 40 in 45 minutes of play and he looked very good. 
So again, I think that's that's very encouraging if you're Brazil. But again, you 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 have to see if you know how he does in in when they when the when the games mean something. I guess these friendlies mean something in that they're tune up games and they got to make sure guys are fit and ready to go. But when the games are actually magnified and they're on TV and everyone's watching you, can Neymar carry Brazil? And I think he has to be in a many ways to carry Brazil in the way that kind of Messi has. Yes, they have a lot of talent around Neymar, like they do with Messi, but I think it's it's Neymar's team. You look at him, he's the guy. He's the most expensive player. He, he made the big move to PSG where he wanted to be the guy and kind of escape the spotlight of Messi. So again, again I think this got to be his World Cup. I think it's not the end-all be-all. He's still very young. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that he's scored so many goals internationally and he's done all. He's accomplished so much for Barcelona and throughout his, his, his club career. But I think this has to be his tournament. I think in, the, in that he has to respond from the previous one. Certainly so. And I think especially after the injury fears and obviously there's going to be a lot of hype again, but there's so much confidence in him this year. Last, last World Cup, it was obviously a lot of hype. He was still uh, Brazil's talisman. But this year, I think... The the, the Brazil squad is a bit more mature. You've got um, a, a very steely midfield there with Casemiro, Fernandinho, Paulinho, Renato Augusto. Obviously, a lot of people uh, kind of question whether or not he should start. You've got Coutinho there with a bit more of the, the flair in the in the central midfield side. And you remember last World Cup, they didn't really have a number nine. This World Cup, they have Roberto Firmino and Gabriel Jesus, like two of the top, what, 15 strikers in the world, top 20 strikers in the world. And then you've got Neymar, who's one of the, you know, top three players in the world, probably. And then you've got guys on the other wing like uh, Willian, Douglas Costa, who aren't slouches. So you've got, in my opinion, a far better team. And then you've got, uh, you know, Allison in goal. They unfortunately lost Danny Alves. You've got um, Marquinhos in, in centre half, who's probably an improvement on um, on uh, Thiago Silva's partner in the in the last tournament, who's you know probably going to captain the side this time. So I think their squad's better, but Neymar is also better. And there is so much confidence in him this time rather than hype. I think that's what people people are saying. Neymar's going to do it this time. It's not, you know, is he or isn't he? There isn't that kind of up in the airness about it. And maybe some people kind of overhyping him for no reason. He's kind of been there and done that at club level. And of course, as you say, he's done so much for Brazil and he's going to probably end up being their record goal scorer ever, isn't he? So this World Cup is the one that I think he's going to shine in. And uh, I don't know. Do you think that he could uh, he could probably underachieve? I'm not sure if he he, he can't, as you said, he, he really can't, can he? I think the expectations, though, for a guy like Neymar, as much as in many ways are they in, is similar to Messi and Ronaldo, is that the expectations are so high, the standards so high. We we look at a player like the like you know Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, we hold them to such a high standard, and that we expect them to be great, like truly, truly, you know, fantastic players all the time. And again, in some tournaments, some tournament plays, it you know it doesn't always happen that way. Maybe an off game or something like that, and all of a sudden people tend to gravitate towards that, especially the media. The media will gravitate towards that, especially when you have that name, you have that label as the most expensive footballer. I think, you know, Neymar could very well find himself being, you know, the, the competition's top scorer. Obviously, he has the ability to do it. It's, it's without question. But again, I think... The, if you really look at a guy like Ronaldo, Messi, and Neymar, they hold they hold themselves to such high standards that they always feel like when they don't win something, that they kind of it's it's it seems like a you know like a letdown, like they underachieved. When in reality, a guy like Neymar could have a great tournament, making me a semifinal run, and people will say, okay, well they didn't win it. You know, look at all the talent they have. Why isn't Neymar being able to do this and do that? The media also plays a role into you know some of these players coming into the World Cup. So I think that's what also kind of in my opinion, it kind of makes it more interesting. And is that when you got the media saying this, you got people saying that, you know, can he come back from his injury? Can he be the same superstar that Brazil need at this time? Because again, when you're coming back from an injury and you're on the shelf and then you're immediately coming in to play big major games, if remember for PSG, they had this title wrapped up for months. So he really wasn't even looked at as, okay, well, you have a loss in the team. Yes, he was out. Yes, we, everyone understands he was out, but PSG had this thing wrapped up for a while. So people weren't really looking at PSG and looking at Neymar's performances. Now he's coming back right at the time of the World Cup. So people are expecting him to turn it on immediately. They're not going to give him that kind of treatment where we expect, well, you know, let him groove into it, let him kind of find his, his, his form again. They're going to expect him to be Neymar, the guy that everyone expects him to be. So again, that's just another variable, another narrative coming into this World Cup is, can, is it going to be Neymar's? And I think... For as a football fan, first, I really hope it is. I, I, again, he's one of the, my favorite players. That's not on my favorite team, 
so again, Neymar is a guy that just it's he's he's a superstar of talent, but you really want to see him put it all together internationally on the main stage. For sure, and uh, it's really interesting you mentioned that the, the media sway in, in this. And if you look at James Rodriguez four years ago, he didn't win the tournament, but he had an outstanding tournament individually, and the media painted this narrative that he was a superstar straight away. But you know, if Neymar goes on and scores five six goals onto onto a on the way to a uh, semi final but Brazil crash out, the media is not going to portray him as the superstar and this guy who, you know, everyone wants. And obviously we've got the, the Real Madrid links that will keep coming up over and over and over again. And uh, we'll see where that one goes. But I, I do think that the media side of things is really important. I, I, I do think that's something that you've highlighted that I really like. And it, it'll be interesting to see the, the difference in, in the portrayal between the, the breakout stars and the young stars and maybe the guys who are expected to perform, the Ronaldos, the Messis, the, the Neymars, and then, of course, the, the Pogbas and, and maybe even the, the Higuains, as we, we discussed earlier. But, but I think we'll move on to the next question. This one you'll, you'll be able to say a lot about. And we've talked about Zielinski, Milik, Dries Mertens. But since Serie A is a specialist subject, what players or other players, apart from the ones that we've already mentioned, do you think will have a big impact on the World Cup? From Syria, I think Dybala, obviously, without question, I think he's going to have a big World Cup. Finally, you know, it's, it's funny. I saw the Instagram post that he put up. You know, this has been his dream to play for Argentina in the World Cup, to see him finally do it at this at this stage with Messi. And you're, we're finally able to see, you know, Messi, Dybala, who Dybala, some people consider to be, like, the next Messi. So it's that's he's one of the guys that I think, obviously... Uh, every he's a household name by now. I think it's quite clear everyone knows who he is. But I think this can be the tournament where he really puts himself on the map as being probably the next most expensive player in football. If you really ask me, because he's got the age, he's got the quickness, the dribbling ability. He's got all the all he's got all the ingredients you need to be a world class player. Um, but another guy, I think he, he can make a biggest impact, and I think he has to in terms of you know the, the season he just had is Andre Silva. I think you know you look at his his international record. Um, 12 goals and 21 senior appearances for Portugal. He wasn't able to replicate that that same scoring form for Milan after making a 38 million euro move from Porto. Um, he's a guy that I think again, it, you know, Ronaldo holds him in such high regard, and he has he has the ability to be a, a great striker. And I think when you look at his struggles for 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 Milan. Yeah, I think that some people are hoping that he can break out in a big way. Um, as me, me as a Milan fan, especially, I'm hoping he can break out in a big way, gain that form, gain that confidence back, and he winds up staying at Milan. But there's interest from Monaco, there's interest from you know several clubs, so it gives you an idea that despite his struggles, he's still a, a, a hot commodity that teams are looking at because he's only 22. He's got the ability, he's got the potential, he's good in the buildup. He's not a limited striker by any stretch, so. I think Silva would be one of those guys that I really do think can make a big impact for Portugal. And I think he's going to have to. I think you look at Ronaldo, Ronaldo's, yes, Ronaldo's is still the main man for Portugal. But when you look at a guy like Silva, who many consider to be like the next guy, the next big forward forward for Portugal uh, after Ronaldo uh, decides to hang it up internationally, this is his his first true test to kind of get show everyone who he is and that he is truly a special forward. So uh, I would say Andre Silva and Di Paolo Di Baller are going to be my two guys, aside from the guys I mentioned earlier with, um, you know, Torreira, Zielinski, and Emilinkovic Savic. I think, you know, there's there's plenty of guys, but overall, those are the two guys I'm really kind of focused on. Yeah, for sure. And as you mentioned there, Andre Silva has got a pretty stunning record for, for Portugal, and he had a really good one for Porto. But I do think he's a great facilitator as well as a number nine, and he's kind of maybe like a a nine and a half, isn't he? Maybe more of a, in, in the Benzema role and the Firmino role. But we don't really see that many of those strikers. I feel like we went through a period where we had the, you know, the Robin van Persies and the Rooney's playing in the same team in the Manchester United and, and uh, in that Manchester United squad, sorry. And van Persie famously said, you know, we're both kind of nine and a half. So we're not quite a 10. We're not quite a nine. And now there's, there's quite a, a drought in that position, in that kind of facilitator. And that's maybe why Real Madrid haven't gone for a, for a traditional number nine. Like we've seen them, linked with Icardi obviously they sold Higuain to, to Napoli linked to Icardi and a plethora of other number nines like Le- Lewandowski of course but now they've, they've not been stuck with Benzema but just because the system they built with Ronaldo coming off that like inside flank yeah they've got the, the facilitator up front who who can allow those guys to play and that's getting a, a big rarity in, in, in this day and age and, and he's going to be a valuable commodity even if he 
in my opinion, doesn't score goals at this Euros. But certainly an interesting one to to, to watch out for. And obviously, Paolo Dybala, let's see if he can step out of Messi's shadow just a little bit because he had a stunning season for, for Juventus, even with a with a few injuries and, you know, benched for a little bit, weirdly, uh, with uh, from Max Allegri. But we'll move on to the next question. And this was uh, all over social media yesterday. Uh, Leroy Sane, what, what do you make of him being left out of Germany's squad? Almost, I don't know, crazy. PFA Young Player of the Year in England in in the Premier League, and he's been left out of the Germany squad. What do you make of this? I was surprised um, at first. I was surprised when I saw. I was like, "Wow, they this guy's you know he again." You just mentioned he he, he one of the best young players uh, uh, in the world this past year, and you look at him, you're like, "It's a no brainer." This guy, and not to mention he's doing it in you know the league that many consider to be the best in the Premier League. And when you see a guy like him not make it, you're almost kind of laughing. You're saying this guy would walk into any team in this tournament. Like it's, it's, it's unthinkable to think a guy like him who's, you know, so skilled, so quick, so, so, so pacey, he's good with his feet, everything like that um, going forward that he wouldn't make the team. But again, it gets back to my, what I said earlier is that it's not so much the main quad because Germany has so many, so many guys who are quality, who are you're skilled on the ball and who can do so many different things, but it's looking at who can do what for him and where it's needed, who can fill certain assignments. And you would look at a guy like, for example, um, your know, Brandt has been a guy that says, oh, he shouldn't have made it over, or, over Mane. Well, should he? If, if, if Germany win the tour, if Germany win the tournament and Brandt scores three goals, four goals, I mean, look how many people said this about Lucas Podolski. I think that's a good example to use here in that different players, but in the sense that they're, you know, they're, you got one guy who's really struggled domestically for, for club competition, bouncing around year to year, but when he comes and throws a German jersey on, he's able to be a superstar and, in, in the blink of an eye, that's that could be something that happens with Germany where guy plays well, has a good tournament, and then all of a sudden people are not even looking at the Sané uh, exclusion as, as anything being major. So again, I think it off off when you're look first looking at it, I think it's kind of obvious that yes, he probably should have been there. But I think you gotta trust a guy like for, for like Lowe, who who knows what he's doing, he knows who he has in terms of his personnel, and he knows what guys can fill certain roles. And um again, a guy like Brandt Perfect Example is a little bit more defensive and I think that's what Lowe likes in him over uh Sane. Yeah, really good comparison there. I also like the comparison someone talked to me about the other day, which was Paulinho when he went over to Tottenham and he was playing really badly. And then he went over to China, of course, but he consistently made that Brazil squad and he actually started in it. And now he's at Barcelona and obviously playing really well. And he's he's probably going to start for Brazil in the summer. Some of those players, they, they just kind of... They just, you know, they love playing for either a certain club or, or a, a country. I remember, I don't know why Robbie Keane, the the old um, Premier League strikers, just come to my head where he, he went from Spurs to, to Liverpool, didn't do too well at Liverpool, went back to Spurs and he was just scoring straight away as soon as it happened. And so it's really weird how that happens where, you know, players feel secure and and. and comfortable under certain managers and certain coaches as we said when these certain variables align these players do well and Leroy Sane to be fair to him in, in the, the recent most recent friendly that they had didn't play too well so and you look at a guy like Draxler who didn't really play much for, for PSG but maybe he comes into the Germany squad and yeah he maybe he he plays really well or um, you know Marco Royce who came back from injury he comes back in and he's had all the experience and a goal scorer and someone who obviously Yogi Lowe really likes these guys aren't bad players that, that might replace Zane, you know? They, these these aren't like... You know, you talk about Julian Brandt there, but maybe a surprise. But I don't think he's going to start. You've got Draxler and Royce and Ozil and Müller in those in those options behind the forwards. So it's going to be really tough. Uh, even if Sane was there, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you feel like it would be like just like... It's, it would be... He's like Germany has so many luxuries with their squad that it's like... There was always going to be a snub. There's always going to be someone you look at the roster. He didn't make it. How did he not make it? And then you look at the rest of their team like, oh, okay, I can understand that. Like, I feel like that always happens with certain nations. Again, you can look at, you know, even France is another one, one of those cases. You can look at Argentina with Art Cardi. How does Cardi not make it? He's 100 goals for Inter and he's 24 years old, 25 years old. Like, and any most nations, he's making their their roster. But again, when you look at it's depart, it's it's all about departments, departmentalizing where players fit it's okay well do we need another striker we have four guys like 
that's also what comes into it as well. You can't bring everybody. Like as much as you'd like to bring the 33, 34 guys that you have in your provisional roster or your preliminary roster, like you can't bring everybody. And ultimately you're, you're picking the best 23. And then you could even make that the same point that that's what Conte did at the Euro 2016, where people were saying, oh, you should have brought this guy, should have brought that guy. But he winds up getting, you know, good performances out of Giaccarini. So like, it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's, I'm not saying, <laughs> listen, I'm not, I'm by no means comparing yeah, Giaccarini yeah, 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 to Sané. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying mean. is that they, the coach, especially like Lowe, who's been with Germany for quite some time, he knows his guys and he knows who fits his system. And I think that's really what a lot of people have to focus on here. I don't think it's a, a te- technical decision as who's better. I think Sané is, is one of the better players in the Premier League. And I think he's going to continue to grow, but it's okay. I have a short tournament where I have maybe eight games seven games, whatever it is, how can I, how can I get and win that to eighth game? And I think, again, everyone has every, – there's a reason why everyone's on the team, on all 23 players. There's a reason why everyone is on the team, and I think that kind of goes back to it. It's not the best 23. It's the right 23 that can work for me. Yeah, for sure. And you, you mentioned that word system as well. And Yogi Lowe, he sometimes uses Urzel on the right uh, or, or on the left and Muller on the right. Sometimes he doesn't play with traditional wingers, whereas you've got Pep Guardiola who loves wingers who touch the – touchline all the time and get chalk on their boots you know there's that famous interview with Thierry Henry who says that when he was playing on the left out left hand side for Barcelona if he you know if he at half time if he wasn't on that wing all the time Guardiola would get absolutely mad I think Lowe likes his uh maybe fullbacks to get a bit more forward with you know they've had um historically Lam and now Kimmich who basically looks like a carbon copy but slightly more athletic doesn't he so you've got this flying right right uh, right back and Jonas Hector who's been there for a long time both guys like to get forward uh, quite a lot if you have wingers who are out and out wingers and only bomb forward sometimes that doesn't work and maybe that's why you know in, in the last world cup that didn't work with Brazil and that's why they conceded like seven goals against uh, Germany because you just get absolutely slaughtered on the counter and you're right whoever fits that system whoever plays to the coach's needs is going to go there and it's as you said the not maybe not the best 23 individually but the right yeah, 100 again i mean you know it's you can look at you can now there's going to be some people that say okay well how do you look at a guy like um you know uh, uh adnan yanazai or again like maybe fabian delf who was like fabian delf like he doesn't he doesn't he, like he the guy doesn't play that much like some people forget that he's actually still on manchester city and you're like why did, how did he make it maybe Southgate has something. He says, oh, Fabian Dolph is going to play a big role for me at this tournament. That's why I'm picking him. Like, you don't know. Like, I think at time, it ultimately, the, the, hey, the results on the pitch will, will speak for us. And I think that's what we really have to see with some of these players. And now, again, if Germany, you know, lack, and they lack production offensively on the wings and they're not scoring goals, people say, Sané should have been there. He's, you know, he's a great player. How, do you, how can you bring him for a guy who's a little bit more defensive, that, like Brandt? People will say that, but I think again, you got to tr- ultimately trust a guy like Lowe, who's who, again won the last World Cup. He's, he's they're always going to be favorites. They have so much depth, and I think he knows what he's doing. And I think that's what German German fans really shouldn't be questioning. I think they got to, you know, kind of ultimately give trust to their manager that he's got the right squad here. You've got to trust a manager who's just won the World Cup, or not just, but you know they're the reigning champions. So whatever Yogi Lowe says goes, and he's quite a hard stern man, isn't he? So we'll move on to the last question, and then maybe the most controversial one. So who's going to have the better World Cup, Messi or Ronaldo? Are we talking uh, goals, or are we talking uh, team performance? Let's let's go individual first, and then who's going to help their team most? I think individually, I think it's going to be Messi. I think Messi's going to have, um, I think he's going to compete for the, uh, the golden boot. I, I think he's going to, it's going to be, he's going to be, if Messi's on the, on an Argentina side in a role that's almost saying like, I know we get guys around me, but I feel like it's like, uh, let me just do it. I'll, I'll do it for us. So I think, I feel like that's the kind of the perception that people give Messi is that like, they have so much talent, but it's always just like, all right, Messi's got it. Messi's going to carry them. He carried them through qualification, you know, did, did he not? So I, I think Messi's going to have the better tournament. And I also think that, I mean, Ronaldo's going to have a good tournament, but I think Ronaldo has a, a, some, a little bit more of a deeper team in terms of the top to bottom and that, you know, you know they, they can get some production from the midfield. They got guys like Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Andre Silva. They got guys everywhere that can kind of pitch in with a couple goals here and there where Ronaldo doesn't have to be a, a an elite goal scorer in the tournament. He can just be that, you know, he's a leader. He's obviously their captain. So he can do, he can be a, a successful player for them in this tournament in many other ways aside from just scoring. Obviously, we know he's going to do that, but you get the point. And I think, again, if we're talking about which team is going to do better, 
I do think it's going to be Argentina. I think slightly. I, I think that and I like Portugal's roster coming in. I think they have, this is one of the best rosters Portugal's had in a while. But I think I, it's it's you always look at Messi and you're saying Messi's going to carry this team. He's going to do what he needs to do. They made the final in, in 2014. Um, again, that's four years ago. But a lot of players are four years older now. But I think again, yeah, I got add in a guy like Dybala. You add in um, obviously Aguero, Iguain. There's there are players all over the pitch that I think ultimately Messi will be able to do uh, quite well, and I think he'll be able to go a little bit further than uh, than Ronaldo's Portugal. Yeah, for sure. And, well, I think that the the thing about Argentina, I think if if everyone remembers in the, the 2014 World Cup, they kind of scraped by a lot of the teams and. I think after, as I mentioned, Messi hasn't scored in a knockout game yet. When they did get to those knockout games, those games got so tight. And it was Mascherano and Di Maria who, who suddenly became the protagonist in that team rather than Lionel Messi. And then it, they got to the final and suddenly everyone said, well, here you go. This is your chance. And then they just kind of shifted all the responsibility onto him. And maybe those guys like Mastrano and Di Maria didn't perform as well. And you mentioned Higuain mentioned, missed a couple of chances in that final quite, quite, uh, uh, quite famously. It, but it kind of just fell on Messi in that last, in that final, in those last ten minutes, especially of the of extra time when they were down one one nil. It, it felt like a lot of pressure, and it's hard. However good you are, if you're one of the two best players in the world and one of the two best players of all time, in my opinion, uh, um, you, you're gonna you're gonna feel that pressure. And same with, uh, I mean, I, I, a lot of people say, okay, Portugal won the Euros, but. I would have. I'd love to turn back time and and kind of see what that final would have gone like if Ronaldo about to played say that, the yeah. whole ninety minutes. Because yeah, because because I remember him starting pretty well, and then just kind of like obviously getting the most unfortunate heartbreaking injury. We had to see him walk off the pitch. But, but look how they were, look um, how Portugal responded then, after he went down. Like that's again, I I know exactly where you're going with that. It's like you look at it. It's like what team can go? What team is less? Um, star dependent on their one guy, and I think it's it's so tough to call. But again, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's even possible. I mean, you can maybe tell, touch on this. I, I would love, I would love to see like Portugal versus Argentina in like a final. And <laughs> just it, it oh would, man, it, stop it! It would be wouldn't, wouldn't that be the most oh. like, <laughs> so much pressure on that final? Like it would just be like whoever wins is the go. All that narrative. That would probably be like the best like. Probably the best final like matchup like, ever, ever, just in terms of like, oh man, yeah, absolutely. I I pay good money to see that. It'd be pretty ridiculous. I mean, Ronaldo. I don't know. Is he is he going to be as motivated because he's already won the Euros? I think a guy like that is always hungry. He's always Messi, he's always yeah motivated. Yeah, always hungry. And Messi, on the other hand, hasn't won it. Lost three finals now with Argentina. Um, I mean, maybe the narrative would be slightly different. Obviously, some people disrespect the um, the Copa South America a little bit more because, uh, or the Copa America even, because um, maybe the composition isn't as stiff as, as the Euros. But, you know, if he had won one of those, maybe there'd be a little bit less pressure on him. But now it's kind of, I think there's that, there's that weird thing from Argentinian, the Argentinian population. And I'm not Argentinian. I don't really know that many Argentinian people. But I think that they just see... Uh, Diego Maradona is the holy grail and Messi's maybe a step below that because he hasn't bought a World Cup home. Well, the thing is for me too is that I think which makes this so fascinating is that, again, you just, you just, you just talked about it, that Ronaldo's always, cha- there's always, always challenging for something. He's always pushing himself for nothing. Like everyone would look at his trophy case and say, this guy can retire right now. He can go to MLS and make a ton of money or whatever, China, whatever the case is. But he always wants that other trophy. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to get more. He's always hungry for, for, for glory. And I think, again, He's got everything as a as an individual. He's got everything at the club level. He's got the Euro. He's like, I want the World Cup though. Like, I why can't I have the World Cup? He's a, just a natural competitor, and at his age, he just doesn't look like he's slowing down. So, that's again, Ronaldo. Like, he's a guy like you know, maybe aside from you know, maybe if you're a Barcelona fan, you're listening to this like, ah, oh, Ronaldo. Like, I'm I'm Team Messi and all that stuff. Uh, for me, like when I look at both these guys, like, I love the kind of the way they exchange blows, the way they go back and forth, and like saying, I won the trophy. What's your response to that? Like, I won it. I won the Champions League. What are you going to do? Like, I love that back and forth between them. And I, although I think they're they're very humble superstars in that they really don't say that we, they talk a lot or they have comp- competing. They kind of just do their own thing. In the back of their mind, they they know that this tournament's like they want this. They they know that it'll go a long way for their 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 you know their reputation and their, their overall legacy. Of course, yeah. And I think that as competitors. <laughs> 
when you have that guy that you hold yourself against to, no matter what, whether you do better or worse than them, it motivates you so much more. And, you know, Messi won, was it three or four Ballon d'Ors in a row? And then Ronaldo came back and won three. And, you know, it might look like, uh, is it four or five? I don't even know, man. They've won so many Ballon d'Ors. <laughs> All we know is the last guy to win it was Kaká. <laughs> that wasn't... It was crazy, exactly. And, and no one even talks about Kaká anymore. And, like, if Ronaldo and Messi weren't here, everyone would be talking about Kaká as, like, one of the best players ever, easily. But we don't talk about it that much because the guys that have preceded them are just fucking ridiculous, <laughs> aren't they? Um, I, I don't think we've ever seen in any sport a rivalry at the highest level, as in the two best guys for this long. I mean, you talk about tennis, even then you had like Roger Federer, uh, Nadal and, and Djokovic and Andy Murray. You've got like four guys that have competed against this era, but they've all kind of exchanged that, that kind of crown. Messi and Ronaldo have been the only two guys since Kaka. No one has kind of competed with them. It's like a it's it's a tug it's like a tug of war. It's like who's better, who's better, who you know. what I'm saying it's it's oh, it's it's and then again, I think it goes back to how much of a, how high highly competitive they are and how they really view these tournaments. They view these. They, yes, I think both of them could retire right now freely, obviously financially. Obviously, that goes without saying it in terms of the, the the honors they've achieved. But again. The World Cup, it, it's the it's the pinnacle. It's that big trophy, and I think Ronaldo. That's the last thing he needs. I think that's the last thing he needs for his his trophy case. It's also because I think the more Ronaldo wins, and it's it's just crazy that we have this goat debate. Like who's the best of all time? And we're talking about two guys that are playing right now. I think they both need it and want it so much because for Ronaldo, there's probably more people who think Messi is the best of all time. If Ronaldo wins the World Cup, you suddenly say you can't it's going to be hard to argue against it if Messi wins it it's going to be hard to argue against it so I think Ronaldo maybe thinks in his head like let me kill this once and for all let me kill this argument once for all with one fell swoop and try and win this world cup but uh it's going to be crazy whatever happens I mean I'd, I'd love to see a final between those two of course but but I think we'll wrap it up there man and thank you so much for coming and back on man where, where can people find out more about you and what have you been what have you been up to since since you last came on the podcast uh, I've been up to quite a bit. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. I do uh, videos. I tweet funny stuff, humor, gifts, memes. That's obviously huge in football <laughs> Twitter. A um, bunch of articles. I'm a football Italia, Italian football daily. Um, Beast Football Times is going to start getting my uh, long form uh, writing back into play. Um, so you guys can find me pretty much there. But again, anything I'm doing, anything I'm working on, I'm usually revealing that on Twitter. So make sure you're following me there. And uh, again, thank you guys for all the support. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, Look forward to speaking with some of you soon throughout the tournament. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, man. And yeah, if you guys did enjoy that and want to hear more of the same, do subscribe to the podcast. Do leave a review if you did really like that. The the numbers have been absolutely crazy the past 10 weeks. Thank you so much for all your support. And tell your friends, you know, like if you, you're enjoying this and you know a friend who might have an hour spare in their day or on their commute, do tell them. And yeah, if you, if you want to own your trading skills and football index skills a bit more, head over to the YouTube channel. Check that stuff out as well. All good stuff, I hope. And uh, <laughs> subscribe and and leave a like to, to a few videos. But yeah, thank you so much for listening, everyone.